Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Danielle, and this is the This I Know podcast. If this is your first time listening, the title of this podcast comes from the children's song, Jesus Loves Me, where the chorus goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the goal of this podcast is to dig into what the Bible actually has to say about our lives now and how a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago can apply to our lives today uh, from a young woman's perspective, because I believe that that's something that is sorely lacking in the church. I will say up front that I am not trained as a pastor or a preacher. I didn't go, haven't gone to seminary. So, you know, do all of your own research, but that should go for everyone, even your pastors. Um, so today's topic is um, confession and how and why it is important and applicable in your life. Um, some disclaimers real quick. I'm recording this episode on my AirPods so that I don't have to hold my phone up to my face. So the sound quality might be different than my last episode. And then um, I'm working from paper notes today because when I was prepping for this episode, I only had pen and paper. So if you hear rustling, that's what that is. Um, So I'm going to pray for us real quick and then I'm going to jump into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, putting these things on my heart to talk about. It's terrifying to record my thoughts and put it out there for people to see, but your plans are so much bigger and better than mine. Um, I pray as we dive into the topic of confession that you would really uh, open my own heart to the idea and just just how important it is and how much you've called us to it, Lord. And I pray that for the people listening to this, that the concept of confession wouldn't scare them off, but it would be something that they'd take some time to actually think about and really look for ways in which they can um, follow your commands and confess to both you and people in their lives. Please um, be in the words that I say right now and that you would impress the important things on people's hearts and then anything I would say in error that you would quickly dismiss from their minds. Uh, We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Um, So I'm going to start in a place uh, for the topic of confession that might seem a little bit strange, but bear with me. We will get there eventually. Um, So my first point is the idea that our God is a God of words. Um, He, and we can see this starting all the way in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, in the creation account. Um, He literally created the world with words. Um, In Genesis 1, 3, it says, let there be light. And there was, there was light. All he said was, let there be light. And it came. And it wasn't the sun. He hadn't created that yet. And obviously there were no lamps or cell phone flashlights. It was just light. But all he had to do was say, let there be light. And there was. Um, In the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, the phrase, let there be light, is actually just one word. And, you know, I said this last time, disclaimer, every time I'm going to butcher the pronunciations of these words. But I think it's important to talk about um, and kind of exegete these words and talk about what they actually mean and how um, our translations might be a little bit misleading sometimes. So in the Hebrew, let there be light is just one word and it's or. And that literally just means light. So all he said was light and light appeared, which is crazy. Um, And then a few chapters later, the serpent's manipulation of Eve in the garden was also based on words. It had her questioning what God really said. Um, In Genesis 3, 1, the serpent asks Eve, did God actually say that eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil would and you would die um, if you did so? Um, so, you know, the original sin was perpetrated by the um, muddling, the twisting of God's words. 
and then, you know, God's ensuing curses on Adam and Eve and their, their progeny and the snake were also spoken. They were spoken things that then were enacted in life. Um, so all throughout the, you know, next couple books of the Old Testament, God continues to show us that words are important to him. Um, he spoke to Noah and told him about the flood and gave him the dimensions of the ark. He didn't just supernaturally save him. He told him what he needed to do when he could have done it any other way. Um, God told Abraham that he would be the father of nations. He dictated the Ten Commandments to Moses atop the mountain in the wilderness. And he spoke all of Levitical law uh, into Mo uh, to Moses and his brother, the high priest Aaron. Um, and then you skip forward a couple hundred or thousand years, because I'm not going to give every example in the Bible. Um, God spoke to Jesus when he was baptized by John the Baptist, and he declared him as the son of God in front of, you know, the crowd that was there, which is just crazy. Um, so he's made it really clear all throughout the history, uh, history of humanity that there is a real importance that should be placed on the spoken word. Um, and, you know, human beings are the only ones of God's creatures to have fully developed spoken language and linguistic skills. I mean, obviously, parrots can mimic spoken word and there has been some science that has shown that certain animals have means of communication with other animals. But, you know, I don't think it'd be too far out to say that human beings are the only creatures with a developed linguistic system. You know, so in addition to our souls, words have been the way that humanity has connected with God for thousands of years. So, you know, it's amazing to me then <laughs> that modern and I'm mostly talking about Western, because that's my experience. Christians have managed to emphasize this touchy-feely, wordless relationship with their God. You know, people talk about not needing to attend church or even read the Bible because they have, you know, spiritual experiences with God where they can worship him. So the importance of community and opening the full and holy word of God that you are incredibly privileged to have could and probably will eventually be an entire podcast series on their own. But, you know, all of this is just to say that words are important to God, especially words of declaration. And he shows believers that they ought to be important to us from the very beginning of our walk with him. Um, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, which is a part of the Romans road, which if you're not familiar, is a path of verses through Romans that basically discuss the process of salvation. Um, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, um, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth he confesses and is saved. So that word confess that it's used um, is used is homologeo, which means to declare openly and speak out freely. So the Christian life begins with a declaration. Um, and the more often quoted part of this verse is the believe in your heart part, the believe in your heart um, and you will be saved. And yeah, belief is very integral to this whole thing. But there is a reason that he also says that we ought to confess with our mouths. Um, and so because our God is a God of patterns and habits and disciplines that are beneficial to his people, um, confession doesn't end after we become believers. So just as Old Testament priests had to confess the sins of the Israelites every time they sacrificed an animal in atonement, like uh, as outlined in Leviticus 16.21, so, so must we, you know, as believers, confess our sins, not only to God, but to one another. 
So while we may not have to kill an animal to atone for our sins, as Jesus' death handled that for us eternally, the New Testament writers still remind us that practicing confession is actually still super important. So uh, according to scripture, confession takes two forms, confessing to God and confessing to other believers. Uh, While confession to God is ultimately how we receive forgiveness, confession to others is not something we can avoid by convincing ourselves that we're good because we prayed about it. Our obedience in one necessitates obedience in the other. Uh, When we sin, confession to God is our utmost priority. In order to walk in right standing with the Lord, we must acknowledge our sin. Martin Luther once wrote that, quote, the Christian way essentially consists in acknowledging ourselves to be sinners and in praying for grace. Make no mistake, just because you are already a believer does not exempt you from having to recognize your own brokenness. The second that you believe that you've got it and you're okay as a person is the second you've lost sight of Jesus. John, the apostle, warns us of this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, where he writes, quote, But if we walk in the light as he, who is Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John emphasizes here that we ought to walk with that to walk with Jesus is to walk in truth and light. The absence of confession in your life signals to God and to those around you that you believe that you are without sin. And to believe that, as John says, is to straight up deceive yourself, which is in direct opposition to Christ's truth. And, you know, some of you are probably thinking right now, like, whoa, Sarah, that's kind of harsh. What if I just forget or don't think about it? You know, that's just why I haven't confessed recently, because I just haven't thought about it. Um, You know, and to that, I would say, then you're probably not living your life as if the gospel is true. One of the foundations of what Christ did for us on the cross is the understanding that we are sinners in need of saving. And if you were preaching that, the fullness of the gospel to yourself every day, you would never forget the importance of confession. John finishes the section I started earlier in John 1, uh, 1 John 1 by writing, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Christ, uh, sorry. I can't read my notes. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we made him, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Not only Should we recognize the importance of confession to God, but we shouldn't fear it because he is faithful and just to forgive us. Rather, we should fear what happens when we don't confess. So now we understand the importance of confession to God. Great, but how do we do it? We're not required to sacrifice an animal for atonement, thank the Lord, but what do we actually do? All the mainstream pictures of confession show people doing it through a priest as a mediator, but Nowhere in the Bible does God require any mediator but Jesus for New Testament believers to come to him. I don't think I have any Catholic listeners, but sorry, not sorry for that. Uh, Jesus himself actually provided a model of confession, and it's probably something you've already heard of, the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6. 
in his preface to the actual prayer, uh, example prayer that he gives, Jesus stresses the importance of praying in secret, telling us to, quote, go into your room and shut the door, to pray to your father who is in secret. I doubt I need to tell you all this, but there is a qualitative difference between praying for a group and praying individually. And while both are important, you probably shouldn't be confessing your sins to God before family dinner. You know, and if praying with others is the extent of your prayer life, you really need to examine that. But I'm not going to get into that topic here. So when you're alone in prayer, Jesus's model shows us that we are to ask God to forgive us our debts. Uh, Some versions say trespasses there, as well as to, quote, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The assumption being that you can plug in your personal trespasses, read sins, and identify temptations you need help to keep from succumbing to. And if you're a superstar Christian and crazy self-aware, that's easy for you. But for the rest of us mortals, knowing what to confess can be super hard. For some people, self-deprecation and loathing may trick them into believing they know exactly what's wrong with themselves. For others, pride keeps us from seeing any of our flaws. Sometimes it's easy and you can identify that lie that you told and Sometimes you don't have enough self-awareness to acknowledge that the way you've been treating that one coworker has been really unkind. Uh, the point being that most of us aren't always great at self-identifying sins. So what do we do? We pray. We pray one of the most dangerous prayers that we can pray. We ask God to reveal our trespasses to us, to humble us. I don't know about you, but the prospect of asking the God of the universe to point out my flaws is kind of terrifying. But sometimes it's the only way that you can confess your sins. So you do it. Because trust me when I say, nothing is worth losing your right standing with God, even if we forget that sometimes. So now you've asked God what you need to confess and have asked for and received forgiveness for those things. How do you follow through on confessing to fellow believers? It's one thing to vocalize your sins to an all-knowing God in the privacy of your own room, which, don't get me wrong, is super important and is the foundation of all forgiveness. But it's another thing entirely to share these sins with people sitting right in front of you. Uh, So let's start with what I feel is the most obvious. If you've sinned against a particular person, you confess to them and ask for their forgiveness. You know, while there aren't many direct commands to confess to a specific person beyond a passage in James that I'm going to talk about in a minute. The importance of unity in Christ is a theme that is stressed all throughout the Bible, uh, such as in Ephesians 4. So if there's a specific person that you have hurt or put yourself at odds with, taking you out of unity with them, often confessing and asking for forgiveness is what will return you to unity. Whether or not they forgive you is up to them, but remember that we as believers are commanded to always forgive those who wrong us, whether or not they ask for it or not. Forgiveness is a super important theme throughout the scriptures, so it stands to reason that if we have identified a wrong we have committed against a person, we should ask for forgiveness. Now, if the sins you need to confess are longer-term habits, patterns, or personality traits, it's important that you find a believer to not only confess to, but also to bring them into the issue long-term to help you work it out. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote that, quote, confession is discipleship, end quote, and both are things that we are called to as believers, confession and discipleship. This sets out a principle that should be self-evident, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
it is important to confess to fellow believers. People with non-Christian beliefs and values are not going to be able to provide the faith-based perspectives that are required to truly work through your sin for the glory of God. So uh, the New Testament writer James writes in chapter 5, verse 16 of his epistle that we must, quote, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. A super important key word here beyond confess is prayer. In context, James is discussing the power of prayer, asking his readers if anyone is sick or suffering in their community, and then commands those people to confess so that others might pray over them. I feel like, you know, some people, like I did at one point, imagine confession to be some mandatory practice of sitting in a dark cubicle while you spill your deepest, darkest secrets to a priest behind a screen who prescribes a meaningless number of Hail Marys in order for you to have retribution for your sin. And while the confession James speaks of is mandatory in the Christian faith, it often looks nothing like the scene that I just described. You know, as James says in that verse, the ultimate goal of confession to other believers is prayer. Not only do you fulfill a mandate by confessing to another believer and letting them in on your struggles, you allow them to fulfill another command, to pray for one another. So, after all of this, who do we confess to? The command is all well and great, but how do we decide who to open up to? Because I can promise you that God is not commanding you to march down to the altar of your church and shout your deepest struggles to the congregation. But as we are called to discipleship and confession, you do need to pick someone. Hopefully, you're already plugged into a church and a small group Bible study, so you already have a narrowed pool to pick from. If you're not plugged into those things, please do that first, and then we'll talk about the rest of this. Maybe you already have a discipler or a mentor figure. Use them. They're not just there to teach you about the Bible, but to dig into the hard stuff of your life, and they can't help you if you don't share it with them first. If you don't have someone already, pray. Ask God to point you towards a spiritually healthy confidant who you can confess to. And most of the time, you'll need to be the one who pursues those relationships. Ask them to coffee. Get to know them. Cultivate a relationship built on faith and trust. And then ask if they will pray for and with you over these issues. And, you know, just as a side note, this is where the importance of the direct confession that I mentioned earlier comes in. If the sin directly relates to the actions of others, be careful that your confession doesn't become gossip. Keep it about yourself, not others. You can't control what they've done. You can reflect on what you've done and change your life going forward. And if you can't find someone on your own to confess to, I'm sure your church leadership will be more than happy to connect you to someone in the church who can act as a mentor figure to you. So, No matter how you go about it, you need a person or persons in your life that you can confess to. Build a team of prayer warriors and people to hold you to changes that you commit to making in your life after you identify sin and want to change it. These people are also called accountability partners in Christian speak. I can testify from personal experience that having those kinds of people in your life can change everything. That's all I have for this episode of This I Know. Uh, I just recently graduated college with two degrees, and I'm taking a little break before I head into the real adult world. So 
hopefully I'll be able to record a couple more of these in the coming months as I do have a really fun and growing list of topics to talk about. Thanks to my wonderful friends who have pushed me to do this and encouraged me after putting out my first episode. Uh, My name is Sarah Danielle. This is the This I Know podcast. And this week, pray the dangerous prayer and ask God what you need to confess.